Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns of the Rising as One podcast, and I'm joined today by Jeff Went. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Dominic. Uh, you know, not quite uh, the result I'm sure that a lot of people were expecting, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a point out of this match and and move forward uh, with Orange County next week. Yeah, for sure. Um, in case anyone wasn't familiar, in case people were busy last night, uh, the match ended nil nil at Rio Grande Valley, uh, down in South Texas by the Mexico border. Um, and before we dive into that match, let's just thank our sponsor again, the Arizona Sports Complex. Um, the Arizona Sports Complex is Arizona's premier indoor soccer facility on the southwest corner of 35th Avenue and Pinnacle Peak Road in Glendale. With newly installed air conditioning, the Arizona Sports Complex is home to youth and adult soccer year-round. Visit ArizonaSportsComplex.com for more information. And... Tell them that the Rising is One podcast sent you for a discount. Uh, we had our live show there last week. It was awesome. You'll see their logo on our T-shirts that we just uh, purchased and now are uh, are trying to sell them. So uh, we have the designs. We can get some more pictures of those. But, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, thanks to Patrick Stewart and the guys over there at the Arizona Sports Complex for uh, letting us hang out there last Sunday. Uh, you know, watched a couple of good soccer matches and – was able to put on a, a great podcast, uh, uh, you know, had a, had a fun time over there, and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Definitely. Pat Fisher is the man. So, Jeff, do you want to take us into this RGV match? Yeah, let's get into this real quick. Uh, you know, as, as the saying goes, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So for the third straight match, uh, you saw the same starting 11 uh, hit the field uh, Saturday night with uh, Carl Wazinski in net with a back four. Amadou Dia, Mike DeFont, uh, Joe Farrell, and Cody Wakasa uh, with a midfield of, of uh, James Musa, Kevon Lambert, Gladson Awako, and then up top you had Jason Johnson, Chris Cortez, and Solomon Asante. Like I said, if it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I, I applaud Chance for, for moving forward with this lineup and, and going with it. Um, you know, not a whole lot of action in the first 20 minutes, really, of this match. Uh, you know, just kind of a lot of feeling out process. Uh, you know, one of the only early chances, Chris Cortez had a, had a chance in the 13th with a volley that went wide. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, you could just tell by watching most of this first half that, that there just wasn't quite the energy level that you had seen the last couple of matches with Phoenix Rising. I mean, they were holding their own. They were doing pretty well, you know, holding on to their own. Finally, Rio Grande gets a little bit going. 29th minute, Saldivar gets gets a ball that goes over the top. Um, You know, then Cortez comes back in the 33rd with a shot over the top. 
a great play in the 37th, though, by Phoenix Rising. Uh, Solomon Asante, free kick, uh, gets to a header to Mike DeFont, and DeFont hits it right into uh, Michael Nelson, who makes his first uh, appearance of the season for Rio Grande Valley. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, the defensive line held fairly well, didn't have a whole lot of issues, a whole lot of breakdowns in that first half. Uh, conversely, Phoenix Rising couldn't do a lot with the ball in the first half. They, yeah, they they were they were getting good stretches of, of possession, but just weren't able to do anything with it on the on the final third, you know, and try and finishing it off. And you get to the half, nothing, nothing. Um, you know, like I said, you, you could kind of tell that there was a different vibe. I mean, they yeah, they played the first twenty or thirty minutes similar. They played the last two or three matches. They played that first twenty or thirty minutes. But it just seemed like it didn't carry on as the as the rest of the first half came through. You know, what are your thoughts, Dominic? Yeah, it was um it was a pretty rough first half. Pretty um just it did it was reminiscent to maybe early last season, uh, where we would be on this on the back foot in a lot of first halves, especially on the road. Just try to get in at halftime nil nil or maybe go up one nil, but really concede most of the opportunities and you know concede a lot of the rhythm of the match and it almost cost us because there was a chance early in this match I want to say it was Matias uh, Zaldivar um, and he just rolled it inches left of that post um, I thought that one was going to find the net and it was actually very similar to the chance that Los just had on us when they hosted us back in April where it was a chance had Carl Wazinski beat, but rolled it just left, uh, where a guy is allowed to get open. Uh, we've been fortunate on a few of those this season. But, you know, the team comes into it a little bit as the half goes on, and ultimately we get in at nil-nil. You know, it had the feeling the longer this match would go, the more that Rising would get into it. And I knew in the second half that kind of performance was not going to repeat itself. An interesting thing, too, if you see a lot of RGV's results, they've tied a bunch of matches this year. At home, they are one win, seven draws, and one loss. But in a lot of those draws, they're up, and then they fall behind. Or they they kind of choke it at the end. They're up by a goal, or they're up by even two goals, and then a team comes back and gets the draw. So you, you feel like RGV is going to kind of start strong and then fall back a little bit and that's really what happened after halftime right yeah that's really what happened after halftime um so we get into the second half of play now the biggest you know the big thing right off the bat musa picks up a yellow card in the 47th minute here's the interesting thing about that that is musa's fourth yellow card of the season so obviously the next one he picks up it's going to cost him a game so now he's you know now you really got to start thinking suspension's going to come into play as we get into the you know the second half of the season now now that tonight we've officially hit the halfway point at 17 matches um so that that'll be something to keep an eye on but as you said you know phoenix had tons of space tons of play in the second half that you know at times you're thinking you know this ball's going in the back of the net you know it's coming uh, dangerous free kick in the 50th, you know, that Cortez banged off the wall. You know, then uh, Asante, you know, free kick in the 53rd that just misses. Uh, then Cortez had a shot in the 57th that was saved by Nelson. Then uh, 58th, Farrell header off of off of a corner just misses. Awako in the 61st that's saved by Nelson. Uh, Cortez, you know... Uh, gets a you know gets one that gets to the back post that just isn't quite there but goes out for a corner so you see that you just see the constant pressure being put on by Phoenix Rising and they're moving the ball and they're getting into the right spots but they're just not able to finish you know off of that that final third so then Phoenix makes his first substitution in the 67th minute with uh with I'm sorry, it was Billy Forbes coming on for Jason Johnson. And an interesting thing there is, I don't know if a lot of you saw the uh, the players, you know, or saw the RGV broadcast, but they were really talking about uh, 
uh, Jason Johnson not really looking like he was all there, you know, because in the first half he had taken a pretty big hit uh, on a on a 50-50 ball, you know, that, you know, for a while there he looked like he was really he was really laboring. And I and I kind of tend to believe the same way, that maybe he was laboring and then maybe they should have brought Billy Forbes on maybe a little bit sooner. Yeah, this was definitely the match for Billy Forbes. And maybe maybe you're right. Maybe a halftime substitution would have been uh, more appropriate. You know what's interesting about this match? Him and Asante uh, did not have exceptional matches. Not to say they were poor, just that neither Johnson nor Asante was quite on that level that we're so accustomed to seeing, uh, where they're just really, you know, almost a level above the opposition. And then one note, too, on that Chris Cortez shot. You know, in the first 15, 20 minutes of this half, RGV was pretty sloppy on the ball. A lot of giveaways, and maybe on a different day we could take advantage of it. This was very opportunistic by Chris Cortez in the 57th minute to kind of like Didier Drogba's goal at Los Dos. You know, that match played out very similar to this one, in my opinion, except we got a goal there. But very similar to Drogba's goal at Los Dos, Cortez just out of nowhere takes a shot from the edge of the box. It was curling into that bottom right corner. The only difference here is the RGV keeper, Nelson, was ready for it and made a very strong save because if you look at that curve on the ball, it was probably going to ping in off that right post. I think that would have been a goal. So good opportunity, opportunistic by Cortez. I think the announcers were saying Cortez might not have been the most active out there, but I think Cortez was opportunistic on a couple occasions and you know maybe another day he scores one of those I don't think that their criticisms were very fair yeah I don't think they were either you know I, I thought Cortez played a fairly well you know fa- fairly good game myself as well I thought he was in a lot of the right places at the right times and just you know just couldn't get that finishing touch on it you know you know a couple of times Nelson made uh, a great save on, on a ball that, that he would hit but you know as we get further into the second half, Forbes interjects himself right into the game four minutes right after he comes on as a sub. Great give-and-go play between him and Chris Cortez. Unfortunately, you know, Forbes had just touched that ball a little bit too far forward in front of him, uh, you know, and couldn't really do much more than than put the shot right into the gut of of Nelson for an easy save for him. You know, it's too bad if, if that touch is a little bit closer to him. Maybe he can stop on a dime, cut it back, and maybe curl something into that upper 90 and make it look good. But, you know, all in all, you know, great first effort and a first great first touch with Forbes on that play. So then you get into further second-half play. You know, uh, Awako gets a shot off in the 75th minute on a great ball from Asante that Nelson saves. Uh, You know, 76th minute, you thought they were going to get something as that ball was pinballing around uh, in the box, you know. Uh, Joe Farrell had a chance to get a header on it. Uh, Gladson Awako from right outside the box tried to fire a shot that was blocked and went out of bounds. You know, a lot of good efforts inside there, just couldn't get that final touch to get it in the back of the net. So in the 80th minute, Kevin Kavon Freider comes on for Chris Cortez. Um, then in the 83rd minute, Cody Wakasa gets a great cross to, K- to Kavon Freider, who puts it just over the top. A um, couple of corners late from RGV. Late substitution bringing on Alessandro Rigi, which you and I both spoke before we started this, which really didn't make a lot of sense because if you're going to bring on Rigi in a situation like that, Rigi should be coming in 20 or 30 minutes beforehand and not 30 seconds before they're going to blow the final whistle. Um, You know, but all in all, it's a nil-nil draw. It's a point on the road. I mean, let's, let's look at the positive here that, you know, it could have been a lot worse, and it could have been a loss. I mean, let's you know, you know that that could have been the that could have been the worst thing losing to a team at the bottom of the table. But at least you get a point on the road. This was kind of a trappish type of game, so at least to get a, a a road draw, which is what you expect to get on the road, gives you a point. It'll keep you second in the table as you get to the end of the week. Nobody's going to pass you up just yet. You get another chance next week to start fresh again. So you know, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of positives to take out of this point. But obviously, you know, for most Phoenix Rising fans, they're going to be upset with 
coming out of here with a nil-nil draw against somebody who struggles to score goals and is sitting near the bottom of the table. Right, and you know, to me, that's why I know we had a joking poll on on the Risings one page, but that's why Michael Nelson is really the man of the match, pretty clearly in this one because. Phoenix Rising had enough good opportunities that one of those should have gone in. And most nights, one of those does go in. We talked about the Chris Cortez curler in the 57th. Um, I think crucial moments in this match happen around those last, like the 75th to the 85th minutes of the match. In that 10-minute stretch, Rising had several opportunities. um, and, And Nelson came up big every time. He didn't allow any big rebounds he was always in the right spot the the key one here is that 75th minute where you know first Owako has a really strong shot that's saved then that goes out for a corner um and the ball bounces around Cortez does very well to get it to Joe Farrell and I'm thinking that has to go in and then a defender uh gets in there to basically clear it off the line um I think there was another good shot by Owako that that Nelson was there to save, and that shot was going in too. The the chance that Awako had, um, yeah. I mean, well, let me even backtrack it a little bit. Um, in the 74th minute, Awako had a great chance even before Farrell's header that was cleared off the line because that's the one where Phoenix broke. Asante gives a juicy ball in, and Awako has acres of space. He puts a ball in that's curling away from the keeper into the bottom left corner. And he got down there really quick to make that save. I mean, those are just those are just quality moments. The one that really puts the icing on the cake, though, 83rd minute, Kavon Freider does a great job getting on the end of the ball. That ball should be in, but a lot of times, even at the World Cup, you'll see a keeper either stay on their line or commit too early. He times it at the perfect moment and just gets his hand on that uh, Freider attempt that would have gone in. So... You know, how can you be too upset to lose a match? Or it's not a loss; it might feel like a loss, but you can't really feel upset to draw a match like this when you're going against a keeper that is just putting the team on his back, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's it's it's not for lack of trying. We got four or five shots on target in a 15-20 minutes span, and he was just up to the task. I mean, some quality shots too. Yeah, you're gonna run no. into you're gonna run into some nights like that where you're gonna run into somebody who's just playing hot, you know. First start of the season, he's hyped up, he's amped up, you know. Hey, I get this opportunity to try to prove myself, you know. One of the top teams, you know, that you, you get the top scoring team in the league to come in, and it's you know, and I pick up a clean sheet up against them. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, if if I'm that goalie, I'm taking that every single day, you know. I mean, you know, conversely on the other end, Carl Wazinski only had a couple of attempts to really have to deal with in the first half. He really didn't have a whole lot to deal with in the second half. Comes up with his sixth clean sheet of the season now on 12 appearances. I mean, that puts him, you know, right near the top as far as goalkeepers and clean sheets now. You know, um, you know, Pittsburgh and Portland have eight on the season. Now that's the sixth for Carl Wazinski, seventh uh, as a team. You know, so you know now that you know that puts Carl in tie for tie for second in the league in clean sheets. So I mean, you know, let's let's you know, we're yeah, let's trumpet Michael Nelson for the job he did in getting his first clean sheet for RGV. But you know, number six now for for Carl and and you know, you know, I, you know, one of the questions early on for this season was you know could Carl step up and be that number one keeper we were looking for after Josh left and. Obviously, the answer is yes. Now that we're seeing, a, you know, as, as good a job as he's done, you know, having allowed a goal now in three matches. So I mean, you know, obviously something's going right there. Yeah, it's actually, I believe, four straight shutouts. That's what the Phoenix Rising Twitter said after this match. Because if you go back to the nil-nil draw at Sacramento, it's now been four straight shutouts. Two of those on the road. And here are some other numbers if you want to take a positive spin on this match. Uh, we outpossess RGV 53% to 47. Uh, we win a majority of the duels. We win 67.6% of aerial duels. Um, we outpass RGV. That hasn't happened in a lot of matches against opponents. And 
75% passing accuracy doesn't sound great, especially when you watch the World Cup. But with our direct style, that's actually a pretty decent number, um, especially when you consider that, you know, we don't have a Drogba, we don't, um, you know, we didn't have Johnson the full match. That's a pretty decent number. Um, in attack, 16 shots, 6 on target to only 1 on target and 9 shots total for them. So we definitely, in the second half, asserted ourselves. At one point, the shots in the second half were 12 to 0, which is pretty insane. Um, and and 9 to 4 advantage in shots inside the box. So we were creating a lot of good opportunities. You know, it's just one of those days where they don't quite fall for you. But um, And then another one that's kind of refreshing to see, it's not just Carl Wazinski doing the job in defense. 88.9% tackle success rate. So you have to give everyone props in that back four. That goes to Cody Wakasa, who's been a standout for us this year. That goes to Dia. That goes to Farrell, who's been a rock these last few matches, and to Defont. These guys have stepped their level up and have continued playing excellent since uh, Coach Carterone left. That's three straight shutouts in the three matches after Carterone uh, abruptly left for All Elite. And we were wondering... Is the defense going to suffer when he leaves? Because Carterone was a defensive-minded coach. Would that system work? Would the guys still be motivated? Three shutouts in three matches. I mean, granted, the competition is not playoff level, but still, that is impressive in its own right. Yeah, it is very impressive. You know, I agree and agreed. You know, the question was, you know, after Patrice left, what was going to happen? We've obviously seen nothing has changed since Patrice has left. I mean, everything still funnels through. The people that have been funneling through all season long hasn't changed a bit. So obviously Rick has learned those types of things. Obviously he's going to lean on Blair Gavin a little bit more now, you know, being an an assistant uh, uh, to do a lot of things to help him out. So, I mean, you know, you know, and Blair was obviously a very defensive-minded midfielder in his own. So obviously, that's going to be, a, you know, a key component of his, you know, uh, of his role, you know, within the club going forward. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not really surprised by the way, you know, like you said, even though this is not playoff-caliber talented players or teams that they're playing against, you know. They're still putting out the maximum effort that they need to, and hats off to this coaching staff for keeping it up and going. Oh, for sure. Um, are you ready to get into previewing Orange County? Yep, let's get into it. Which is going to be a Friday night match. Yeah, this will be a Friday night match. Dollar Beer Night again. So you know how you know how well Dollar Beer Nights and, and Phoenix Rising go. It seems to, to, to be a very successful uh, proposition for the club. Um, but Orange County, a very tough opponent coming in. Um, they are, as we're taping this uh, early because of, of uh, BGN uh, constraints uh, that they've got going on this next week, um, so we're taping this as, as games are being played Saturday night. Orange County is currently leading 3-1 uh, to one over Tulsa uh, in the second half. Uh, Thomas Einvoldsen has, has scored his uh, league tying leading uh, ninth goal of the season, I believe it is. Let me check here real quick. I'm sorry, he's he takes the league he, lead. He takes. <laughs> the, I'm sorry, he takes the he takes the league lead now with that with that goal, his ninth of the season. So he's now the he is now the the top scorer in the league with that goal. Um, jo, uh, Josh Holveld and Alex Crognell have also scored for Orange County. Um, obviously, uh, you know, they're a tough team, you know, uh, uh, you know, we played them to a draw at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, they're sitting right where they want to be in the table. They're sitting, uh, currently in fourth place, you know, if results hold at this point, um, you're looking at, you know, this being another one of those, uh, uh, matches against teams in the top four that are really going to, uh, you know, be that type of, uh, important match that, that, you know, we need to take care of uh, to keep to keep our top standing. Yeah, and um, in addition to the names that you've mentioned, uh, Andre Rawls has been a quality keeper for Orange County. Uh, Christian Duke, he's a 
very uh, a very well known name in USL circles. He was formerly of Reno last season. Um, I think Quinn has been in the league for a long time. He's one of their defensive midfielders. Um, they have a good mix of young talent and veterans. They're going to be a tough team to break down. And just to make things a little bit more interesting, the last four matches against this club have ended in draws. All of these matches have had drama. All of these matches have been chippy. There have either been late goals or dramatic non-goals in the last five to ten minutes of each of these draws. I can go through them chronologically if you want, but I think you guys don't need that full picture. Uh, the point is, these teams are incredibly evenly matched, um, and it's I wouldn't say it's a rivalry because it's tough to have a strong rivalry with a uh, two-side even if they're not a full two-side, it still feels like a two-side. But these matches are always tough. They're always fun. They are always intense. So this is going to be a tricky one, but I think this is a real opportunity for this team to make a statement and come out there, show Orange County what we're made of, finally break through with the win, and give us some distance from Sacramento, from Orange County, all those teams that are just on our heels trying to catch up. Yeah. You talk about Andre Rawls and Ned, I mean, only giving up 10 goals in 14 appearances. I was, I'm sorry, 11 with the goal that he's given up tonight against uh, Tulsa. But still, 11 goals given up in 14 matches, play, or 15 matches played. Seven clean sheets on the season. Obviously, they're doing something right in Orange County, you know, to, to only, be, only have given up 11 goals in the season. I mean, you know, We've always struggled against them. You know, I expect this to be one of those 1-0, 1-1-ish type of games. You know, the, like you said, it's it's physical, it's chippy. It always has some sort of drama, you know, at some point, whether it's something early, whether it's something late. You know, we, we always know to expect something from Orange County. And obviously, thankfully, this is the last time we'll face them in the regular season, you know, but you know, you always would like to come out on the you know, on the winning side in this back half, you know, especially coming off of a, if you want to call it a disappointing zero-zero draw. You got to think the boys are really going to be hyped up for this match come Friday night. Definitely. Uh, another note: just as we were previewing this match, Orange County scored again, uh, a penalty for Aoda and Quinn. It is now four-one. They are playing Tulsa, so I think they're going to be all right for that win. So that means they will be five points behind us going into Friday night's match. Shall we go through matches around the league, or do yeah, we want to talk about... Yeah, let's talk about some matches around the league. Um, most of the action happened, you know, early on Saturday before, uh, you know, before before the, the lateness of everything. Uh, Oklahoma City gets a one nothing win over LA Galaxy 2. Uh, it was a very, very late winner from Christian Valeski that uh, that got uh, Orange County three huge points. And now they're obviously shooting up the standings. Uh, three straight wins now have kind of put them uh, in the middle of that bottom half of the table, uh, you know, right in that five, six-point range of uh, being outside of the playoff spot. So, uh, you know, some good things happening all of a sudden now in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that's a very late goal for them. Uh, 97th minute, uh, but as you said, Valeski gets it, and now that's three straight wins for them. They are creeping up the standings. They're still not in the top eight, but they're now up to 16 points, which is a far cry from where they were just a few weeks ago, and now only seven points back, which is certainly not an insurmountable gap for them. Yeah. They are going to have to deal with that goal difference, minus 11 still. But, look, you can only control one match at a time, and it seems like something is starting to click in Oklahoma for at least one of those teams. Yeah, exactly. Here's another interesting result that happened Saturday. Reno goes on the road to San Antonio and picks up a huge win, 2-0 over San Antonio. Uh, Jerry Van Awick and Brian Bowen get goals. Brian Brown get goals for Reno. Uh, you know, Reno again starting to find their form. And this is a huge loss for San Antonio at home. I mean, they were they were starting to find their form, and now all of a sudden this loss, you know, again puts them on the wrong side, you know, of the playoff ledger at this point. 
It certainly does. Uh, they fall behind Colorado Springs, which we'll get to in a second, but only 20 points at this stage in the season. Uh, there's a lot of season left, but, you know, those goal struggles come up again. And, you know, for me, the bigger takeaway here is look at Reno just coming on strong lately. They have been something else these last couple months, going from near the bottom of the table to now in sixth place in the standings. Uh, what a rise it's been. And, you know, I was jokingly saying, is is this Reno team, last year's Reno team, they're starting to show it. They are starting to actually look like the uh, 2017 Reno squad. Not quite as many goals without Dane Kelly, but the way that they've shot up the standings, they're now at 25 points, just four points out of third position in the West. Yeah, definitely shooting up those standings. Uh you know, similar to the fashion that they did. And like you said, you know, they don't have that eight-goal effort that they had against LA Galaxy 2 last year to lean on to, to, to pad a goal differential that they had last year. But, you know, but like you said, they're winning games the way they need to win games, and it's important for them to be doing that at this stage, you know, if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. So um, the other result that uh, was interesting, Colorado Springs gets a one nothing win at home uh, over Fresno FC, it was Shane Malcolm with the goal in the 86th minute, uh, getting the winner there, uh, putting you know Colorado Springs, even though they're they're high up on games uh, played in this in the standings, uh, you know putting themselves right there in that playoff picture once again this year. Yeah, big win for them. It keeps them right in the hunt, um, and it looks like their winning goal. Go check this out on the USL website absolute banger of a free kick um if it wasn't for the world cup going on i think this would be on sports center's top 10 it might actually have a chance regardless uh but shane malcolm puts this into the upper 90 from almost 30 yards out that was an absolute cracker um you know a little bit more appealing to the eye than oklahoma city's late winner which was a header off a corner right at the end um you'll want to see both of those they were recently tweeted out by the usl but uh especially that that colorado springs winner from shane malcolm to put them in top eight do you think this team can do it do you think well i think we can i think they can do it the better question is do you think they are going to end up top eight well i think the 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 team that we've talked about a number of times that would have the opportunity to kind of unseat them at this point would be st louis you know, if they get their stuff going, I mean, St. Louis is sitting at, at you know, 15 games played, whereas Colorado Springs sitting at 17, and there's only a one-point difference between them, even with San Antonio. But but I'm really concerned with San Antonio right now with the way they're playing. They're so up and down. I, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from them. You know, St. Louis is the same way. They're sitting at 5-5-5 five, five, five at the moment. You know, so if, if Colorado Springs can get their stuff together and get a, you know, string a couple together here uh, in the next couple of weeks, I think they may have a good shot at working that eighth spot. But if they but if they can't and continue to keep getting draws and losses on top of these games that they're already playing, you know, who knows, you know, where they're going to end up at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a fun race for those last couple playoff spots. Yep, that, um, that it definitely and, is. And one other note, as we were just recording that segment, just talking about St. Louis, they fall behind in Sacramento one nil. Yeah, Cam, Cam Wassa does it. Cam, Cam Wassa does it again. I mean, he's he's been a, a real uh, force for them lately. You know, he had the goal here against us a couple weeks back. Uh, when they played here in Phoenix, uh, you know, he had, he had a, a huge effort this past week in the U.S. Open Cup game uh, that they played against LAFC. Now he picks up a goal here, uh, you know, against St. Louis FC. So obviously, you know, some huge, some huge uh, uh, goings on there. Um, obviously, one game going on Sunday, uh, Swope Park Rangers playing Las Vegas Lights FC. That'll be uh, key as, you know, as far as the standings go with, with Swope sitting down, you know, where they're at. So if you look at the table as it is right now with games going on and with the scores going on, uh, as they've been, they've been announced here, it's real Monarchs at the top with 34 points off of 15 matches played. They did not play this week. They were idle. 
points. Phoenix rising in second with 32 points off of 17 matches. Sacramento would be third with 31 points on 17 with the win. Orange County with the win would be fourth at 27 points off of 15 matches played. It's Portland Timbers in fifth, 26 points off of 16 matches played. Swope Park Rangers is sixth, 25 points off of 15 matches played. Reno is in seventh, 25 points off of 16 matches played. And rounding out the top eight at the moment is Colorado Springs, uh, 23 points on 17 matches played. You get to the bottom half of the table. It's San Antonio in ninth at 20 points on 14 matches played. It's St. Louis FC in 10th, 20 points off of 16. It's Fresno in 11th, 19 points off of 17. Oklahoma City with the win today goes to 16 points off of 16 matches played in 12th. Las Vegas 13th, uh, 16 points off of 13 matches played. LA Galaxy 14th, 13 points off of 15 matches played. Seattle Sounders is in 15th, 11 points off of 13 matches played. Rio Grande Valley with the draw, 11 points now, 15 matches played in 16th. And rounding out the table again at the bottom, Tulsa Roughnecks, 7 points, 15 matches played. Obviously, like, like we said, the keys, the keys are huge here. Sacramento, if they pick up the win, they'll stay within a point of Phoenix Rising. Uh, you know, Swope, if they pick up a win, would jump up to fourth if they get their win on Sunday, uh, surpassing Orange County. So obviously a lot of moving pieces as, as the rest of Saturday night plays out and the rest of Sunday plays out. Like you said, Oklahoma City's moving up the table all of a sudden now in 12th. You know, they're sitting now seven points behind Colorado Springs for that eighth spot. But again, like you said, three wins in a row now. Obviously that's very key. Uh, San Antonio taking a big hit here. You know, even though they have matches in hand, <coughs> excuse me, at 20 points off of 14 played, you know, obviously you get four to six points out of the three matches in hand, and they could obviously surpass Colorado Springs. So it'll be interesting to see how things in the middle of the table kind of play out the next couple of weeks. Oh, for sure. And uh, one match that I was just curious about, so I looked up who San Antonio is playing the next few matches absolute crackers set up for next weekend. Reno is hosting Timbers 2. That should be an exciting match. Colorado Springs hosts San Antonio in the definition of a six-pointer for both those teams. That could have a profound effect on Colorado Springs' playoff chances since they are already at 17 matches played. Uh, And then OKC Energy's next match is July 4th. Uh, traveling to San Antonio. So some big matches for San Antonio coming up. Um, but if OKC can get something from that match, then their matches after that are versus Colorado Springs, versus Las Vegas, versus uh, at San Antonio, but then versus Fresno. So they can they can make a run at this thing. Yeah, they, Do they, not count OKC out. No, no, not at all. Especially now that they're starting to get you know, on the track, you know. They could definitely make a good run here. Uh, Before we go to Open Cup stuff, which we definitely want to talk about, we should probably take a couple team news stories into account. Uh, The biggest one being Jason Johnson, after scoring that beautiful goal, that scissor kick goal last week, ends up being the USL Player of the Week. Um, That's a humongous honor, I believe, uh, the second player for Phoenix Rising to get that honor after Chris Cortez with his hat trick earlier in the season. Yep, that is that is correct. Uh, Johnson picked up uh, 47% of the vote this week uh, from the national media, of which I am one of the voters uh, for the for the player of the week. So, obviously, voted for Jason to, to earn the honor, and uh, the two guys that were behind him each earned about 18% of the vote. So, obviously. You know, Johnson was a pretty clear-cut winner this week for the for the Player of the Week honor. And then, you know, what I was kind of sad to see, and you know, I wish, you know, that he could have done a little bit more in those two saves, you know, in those two games. But you know, Carl Wazinski really didn't get any mention whatsoever for for even being on the team of the week. You know, a pair of shutouts against Las Vegas. And Tulsa, granted, they're bottom of the table teams, but still, they earned two shutouts in a week. You know that 
easily should have earned him some sort of recognition, even if it was just honorable mention. You know, I get that Diego Restrepo had a great game in San Antonio this week, you know, that last week, and, and earned his spot on the on the you know, on the team, but, you know, I easily thought Carl Wazinski should have, should have easily earned some sort of recognition for a pair of, of shutouts during the week. Well, and that's just the thing. There are so many teams in this USL league, 33 this season is going to be more. There's so many games and we don't even cover the Eastern conference ones that well. There are all sorts of performances going on out there. I'm sure and quality keepers over there. So when you combine those guys with Restrepo's great performance, it's a pretty tough thing to even get honorable mention. And I think that just goes to show how impressive Jason Johnson's effort was. Not just the goal, but also being very involved in both of those wins last week. Scoring in both wins, a brace against Vegas, um, and just being a real impact player. Uh he ended up not winning goal of the week, though, ironically enough. That is voted on exclusively by fans, and he went up against a great goal in FC Cincinnati. I don't know which player got that goal, but it was a shot from, I think, 40, 45 yards out that curled in. So If I remember right, I believe it was Ledesma that, that had that shot. Um, but his, you know, it was interesting that both of those goals... You know the the goal. You know the goal from FC Cincinnati and the goal from Jason Johnson, both made uh, Sports Center that night. So I mean it was, and I believe it was Ledesma's goal that was like fifth. If I remember right, it was like number five in the in the top ten, and then you know Jason Johnson's was number two that night. So, um, but you know, like you said, it, it's it's a fans vote, and obviously when the fans get involved, you know it's a lot of it's a lot of sourcing of. Of getting people to 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 pad the vote a little bit, so you know, I don't think goal of the week, you know, probably is as important to to some individuals as maybe being named the player of the week from the league is is probably a little bit more important there. Definitely, um, the other story was pretty cool. Um, Brad Sesmat actually did an interview um, this week with one of our co-owners. I am not getting the name Mark Mark Detmer it was Detmer, that's what I was thinking Um, but some interesting tidbits there I don't know if you want to elaborate on those yeah, some interesting little tidbits you know, know, there's a meeting supposedly set up with MLS executives uh, for some time in July to talk about where Phoenix Rising sits as far as their expansion uh, application goes Um, they've obviously you know, have, have in the past few months, as you all know, they've they've named a new lead investor to the club, and Alex Zung. Uh, they have released plans for you know a 23,000 seat stadium uh, to be built here. Um, you know, so obviously those things were very huge. Um, you know, some other interesting things that came out of that that interview that that Brad did. You know that they're obviously hoping to lock up the land shortly for that site. Um, you know, obviously not being told yet where that site is. Um, you know, hopefully it's still on the current site that they have talked about all this time. You know, don't know if anything new has is. I mean, we we know that the city of Phoenix has approached them about some things, but we don't know where they are in those talks. Obviously, Mark Detmer didn't go into any of that uh, with Brad Sesmat either. You know. But just just to hear the fact that that you know we now have a meeting with league officials to see where we sit, I think that's going to give the fans a little bit more juice to 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 feel good about the fact that hey now we're moving in the right direction and hopefully we can see that this bid will finally go through in the end. Yeah, and and some very realistic quotes from Mark Detmer. Uh, the one that I took and that Arizona Central also took in its article where they basically just took you know some of the important quotes from the article or, or from the interview excuse me um, he said we are second place in the overall USL standings and we're probably sitting somewhere there relative to our bid for MLS uh, and he's comparing us to Detroit and Sacramento those are the cities that are expected to be the main competitors for 27 and 28. 
if that's the case, which one of those do you think is better than us? And that's kind of surprising because we've talked on this show, and I think a lot of Rising fans would think that we, of those three cities, would have the best case to make to MLS. Yeah, we, we, should, have, we should have the best case to make for that. I think if if they're talking to anybody, maybe it's Detroit, just for the sheer fact that hey, we got Ford Field, we can retro, you know, we can retrofit it, and make it the way we need to, you know, to to make MLS work here. But I don't know if you saw the interesting comments in the last couple of weeks on Twitter as well, but the Columbus to Austin talk is kind of going down a little bit. And there's some okay. talk of Columbus to Sacramento talk going on, which is very interesting that 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 Precourt has had some discussions with the people in Sacramento about going there with his club. Um, that stuff kind of caught me off guard a couple you know a couple weeks ago. I wasn't putting much stock into it in the beginning, but when you've read some comments over the last week uh, about Austin, you know, out there in the Twitterverse, it, it's really been interesting to see. You know that I think it 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 almost seems like Precourt is trying to just go to the highest bidder. Period. You know whether that is Austin or whether that's Sacramento. You know, so I mean that 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 could be interesting in play as well. Yeah, I I'm going to have to do more of my homework on the. Columbus to Sacramento. I was starting to have my doubts about Columbus to Austin this off season because of the, you know, in recent weeks we've heard the USL confirm that there will be a USL team in Austin in 2019. And so when you hear that, you're thinking, oh, that's kind of odd. Are they just going to be maybe a temporary one or two year thing while Columbus sorts its thing out? But it, it does make sense, and it does support this Columbus to Sacramento chatter because at this point if you're if you're Austin city governor you're probably thinking look there is a desire for some sort of soccer here we got to have something at least with USL we know we're going to have a team next season so that's what's going to happen that's what we're going to support if Precourt wants to figure his stuff out if he wants to come here great but if if not we're going to have soccer regardless but that that adds a whole wrinkle to it because then what happens with Sac Republic if they end up going to Sacramento? I mean that's a that could open up a whole can of worms. And if that if that does happen, that could be a very positive development for our chances at MLS. Yeah, it could very well be a, a huge a huge you know, a huge advantage for us, you know. Because now we don't have to compete with a Western Conference expansion team from Sacramento. Exactly. And the only real West Coast, if you even want to call it a bid, you know, would be from San Diego. And they, you know, you still have to wait for a vote there in November just to make sure that they're going to get a stadium in the first place. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fascinating stuff. We will definitely keep you guys all covered on that because another thing from that from that interview was Detmer said we have to get this land situation sorted out in the next few weeks because we're meeting with MLS next month to lobby for it. Yeah. So they need to they need to have a firm answer you know in the next I, I can't imagine it being more than three to four weeks because you know when you guys are listening it's June 24th and they're going to want to make this decision. MLS will want to make this decision either end of 2018 or early 2019, and so we got to have some hard answers. Another thing I found interesting there, the current site where the pop-up stadium is is the front runner, but there still hasn't been a hard commitment to that location yet. They're still sorting through options. And, and what do you, you take away from and, that? And, and you've got to wonder if, if it's not the Pima Indian, you know the the, the Maricopa account, uh, the Maricopa Pima Indian community, you know, trying to lobby themselves for somewhat of a better deal, you know, as far as what they get out of this land. I mean, that's, you know, originally I 
had thought this whole time that the the only thing that was probably holding this up was just trying to work through the bureaucracy of the government and the BLM, uh, you know, the Bureau of Land Management to to try to make things work. I don't necessarily know that it's that as much anymore as it is, you know, the the the, the Indian community making sure that they are. Uh, well compensated, we'll say, for lack of a better term, uh, of you know what they're going to get in return for giving up all this land. Because obviously they could have had many other thoughts, ideas, plans to use for that land, you know, and and you know for them to come with them for a stadium, you know, they're going to obviously want something in return. So that, to me, I think is is probably what the biggest thing is holding all this stuff up. It would be fascinating to be a fly on the wall in those meetings between Phoenix Rising and uh, the Salt River Indian community. If you talk about like which side has better leverage, you would think at this point it probably is the tribe because now you have a self-imposed deadline that you need to have a site in mind within the next month if you're serious about getting MLS 27 or 28 and who knows if they're going to expand beyond that anytime soon so you have a self-imposed deadline and if it doesn't work out with phoenix rising on that site the diamondbacks are looking for a spot mm-hmm. so it's not like that land is going to just wilt away waste away with no potential future uses exactly the coyotes could use a spot in the next few years yep you're right you're right on point you know, you're right on point with those things. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the ball is in their court. And if it and if they're not getting a good enough deal out of it, well, we can just wait a couple of years and get a better deal when it comes to a team like the Diamondbacks or when it comes to somebody like the Coyotes. You know, we know we can build a big facility, get bigger numbers to our community. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a very big decision to come. Yeah. Um, and we will keep you guys posted whenever there's news about it, even if it's just interviews like that, because it looks like the rubber is going to be meeting the road sooner than later. Um, we've had all of this MLS chatter for so long. It feels like it's been decades. It's really been a little over a year, but uh, it looks like we are actually going to start getting some answers sooner than later, and the team is going to have to you know, stick to a land, uh, a plot of land sooner than later. So when that all happens, we will be the first ones to let you know. And believe me, we are just as interested in this as you all listening are. Yeah, that's for sure. A um, couple interesting, a couple other interesting league notes before we move on. Um, and, and I want to give John McPherson some credit for this. Um, I don't know if you've looked at his, if you look at his Twitter this week, there was some interesting. Uh, things that he had found out from from league sources, um, you know, a couple of teams coming in. Uh, I, there, there's talk of Hartford coming in to the league. There's talk of a couple other teams that they're looking at coming in this year as well. Um, he also mentioned something about how there could be a hold on USL Division Three for a year because they don't have enough teams ready and set to go for that league for 2019 like they had hoped for. Um, it also talks about you know how many of these MLS two teams would drop down to that Division three. Um, some of them, ha- I guess, it sounds like some of them have expressed interest to stay up in Division two. So you know, it, you know, it could be interesting how that all sets up. Obviously, conference alignment, you know, comes into play next year. With, you know, with with all the talk of there's there's been look of of going to three conference alignment. You know, possibly even going to you know, staying within a two conference alignment, but having two divisions within those two conferences. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of things play out here in the next few months at the league offices. Uh, you know, obviously trying to get things set up for 2019. So, uh, you know, some credit to John McPherson for getting some of that stuff out there as well. Yeah, he is always a goldmine of information. So definitely. If you're interested, follow him on Twitter if you're not doing so already. He is at JohnMCP66. And if you can look at his following the followers ratio, uh, it's almost two to one. So you know he is a good source of reliable info on all things uh, Phoenix soccer related 
and he even has some pretty fun insights on Scotland and uh, Celtic as well. Yeah. So, uh, just a couple things to wrap up. Some Open Cup matches happened this week, and the one involving a Western Conference team was the match between LAFC and Sac Republic. That was on Wednesday, June 20th. And, man, Sacramento almost pulled this thing off. They were up 1-0. They were up in the second half 2-1. But LAFC just would not die. They find a way. Latif Blessing gets the winner in the 89th minute uh, to win 3-2. So no Western Conference teams make it all the way to the quarterfinals. Uh, The last one falls in the round of 16. But a very impressive effort from Sac Republic. Um, it ends three two, but yeah. I, I mean, and, and and LAFC played a strong lineup in this match too. Benny Failhalber ties it in the fifty eighth. Diego Rossi ties it in the sixty seventh after Sac Republic had gone ahead, and Latif Blessing in the eighty ninth. Those are regular MLS starters, and Sac Republic went blow for blow, toe to toe with these guys. Yeah, they did go to toe to toe, and you know. Hats off to you know to Sacramento and the effort that they put forth. I mean, Josh Cohen, you know, tough to have to give up those two late goals in the second half, but boy did he make some impressive saves in the first half. Uh, you know, at, at the time to keep it one nil, um, you know, you thought maybe Josh was going to be the guy that was going to just barely put them over the top, but you know, Blessing gets that late winner and unfortunately you know puts Sacramento Republic out, but. You know they have you know they have nothing to be uh, you know sad about you know as far as their effort goes you know they put everything on the line and you know uh, I saw uh, something on on uh, it was is either Sacramento Republics or, or one of the, or one of their followers groups uh, Twitter handles that uh, this was today is the they're playing their 12th match in 43 days and that includes all of the Open Cup stuff so I mean. That's a you know that's a heck of a haul, you know for them, you know for you know for the last you know what is it five six weeks to be playing you know almost twice a week, and you know for for what they're doing they have definitely you know earned the respect of a lot of teams around the league. Yeah, I mean, what a thrill for our former guy Josh Cohen to be going to Bank of California Stadium playing before a lot of fans. Looked like a well-attended game, considering it's a Wednesday night, round 16. It's in L.A., so there are a lot of other things to do. And yet, looked like a pretty good atmosphere, and for Sacramento to still play that hard with all of the matches that they've had to deal with, super impressive. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, other, the other U.S. Open Cup match, and you know maybe one last thing, if they had had that match at home, who knows? Maybe they pull off the upset. Exactly, exactly. You know, you're playing it in a more intimate setting, you know, versus a big stadium. And yeah, you never know if if something like that, you know, plays in the heads of these, uh, you know, MLS guys. That hey, we got to go down to a lower league stadium and try to beat them there. And you know, for for Sacramento, it would have been hey, you know, they're coming to our spot, you know, and you know, you know, we're going to make them pay. So you know, that would have been great to see either way. Yeah, the, the, in the Open Cup, home field makes a humongous difference. Um, you go to last year when FC Cincinnati made the semifinal. The wins over Columbus and Chicago Fire were both home matches. Um, and then they did get by F's, uh, Miami FC, uh, former NASL side on the road. Um, but really, the home advantage in those matches against MLS sides was humongous and it seemed like the difference sac republic was able to do it against sounders at home but you know playing in an mls stadium with that kind of atmosphere very tough thing to do and just to support that point six of the eight home teams in open cup won their matches in this round of 16 um only one away team won their match before penalties so it's definitely good to be at home and uh one USL team will make the quarterfinals because Louisville City played Nashville in an all-USL battle in the round of 16, and it finished 2-1 to the defending league champs. Louisville City went up 2-0 in this match. Nashville tried to come back at the end. Wasn't to be, and good on Louisville City. I mean, last year, 
they win the league. Now they make it to the quarterfinals and they, they go to Chicago Fire. It's a tough match, but not an impossible match. No, definitely not an impossible match, especially when we saw what FC Cincinnati did to them, you know, last year. You know, you got to think, you know, that FC FC Chicago's got to, you know, or Chicago Fire is going to think of that last year, what happened, and and try to, 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 to play off of that and make sure that the same thing doesn't happen to them twice, you know. But Louisville City's a strong side. Don't discount them one minute. I mean, they could... They could be the diamond in the rough in this whole uh, tournament that's left now. You know, I mean, you're looking at, uh, what are you looking at, LAFC and, uh, what is it, is it Portland or, I think it's Portland. I think it's Portland. Portland, this, Portland is still yeah. left. I think so, it's yeah. LAFC versus Portland in the right. next round. You know, and then you've got, then you've got uh, uh, Swop, or not Swop, uh, Sporting KC and, and Houston, you know, in that other bracket, you know, and then you've got, uh, you know, then you've got uh, Louisville and, and Chicago. If Louisville makes a run in the semifinals against, you know, the the teams that are left down in the down in the East, you know, it's anything's conceivable at this point. I, I give Louisville City just as much of a chance as anybody else does. I mean, you know, they're still one of the top teams in this league. They're only sitting five points off the lead, you know, from Cincinnati with games in hand. So I mean, you know, they're still right up there. They've only lost twice this year. You know, so I mean, don't don't discount them one bit. No, not at all. Anyone that does would be very foolish to do so. Um, it's also a Chicago Fire team that's not setting the world on fire in MLS. That was a pun intended. Uh, they're in seventh place in the Eastern Conference, outside the playoff positions. So, um, it's anything can happen in the Open Cup. So don't sleep on Louisville. And how sweet would it be for them? to make the semifinals one year after FC Cincinnati does it, uh, just to spite their rivals. Yeah, definitely. That would really be, uh, you know, a, a monumental uh, effort there for sure. Well, I think that's I think that's about it for Open Cup stuff. And um, do you have anything else that you want to, get to before we go to final thoughts we don't really have supporter section because we're recording immediately after the rising match so no just just you know to to get into a final thought i mean like like we've said this whole entire time you know it's not the result that everybody wanted i get that you know a draw is a point we'll take it we'll move forward big game against orange county this week coming up you know, obviously, Dollar Beer Night is obviously always a huge night for the club. You know, you know, look at what they've done in the past with it and the results that they've had come out of it. So, you know, obviously the fans definitely show up in big numbers, you know, for a match like this. And, and I know Rick Shantz will definitely not want to disappoint, you know, with, with a big fan base coming out for this, you know, this match. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of positives going on around the club right now, you know. The strong, you know, the strong effort that they're putting out, you know, they're outdoing their numbers from what they did last year, which is great. You know, the team, you know, is now uh, is unbeaten in five. So I mean, we've got another streak. We've got another streak running here again, like we did last year. Keep that streak moving in the right direction, and I think we'll be in good shape. Uh, you've got a big, you know, a big month ahead as far as the executive side of things go. You know, a big meeting with MLS officials to, <coughs> to to get the bid straight and see where everything sits there. So obviously things again working in the right direction. Front office is doing great things with great promotions, getting people to come out to the games. You know, the players are doing their part by putting a great product on the field. And now, you know, the front office is taking care of their business on their side by, you know, getting with top MLS officials and getting their situation straightened out. So you can't you can't really ask for anything better right now than the situation that you as fans have in front of you that, you know, everything is just lining up so perfectly right now. So it's going to be our last home match in a while against Orange County this Friday night. Um, enjoy it. Get there early, enjoy the beers, and as far as the MLS stuff is concerned, 
I know that there's that temptation to want that instant gratification, but it sounds like it's actually coming sooner than later this time, so just stick with us. We are really thrilled about that. Enjoy the World Cup, too. It's been a great World Cup. Um, so many awesome matches every day when Phoenix Rising isn't playing, when USL isn't going on. Uh, it can be enough to make your head spin at times. That Tony Cruz winner definitely made my head spin a few times today. Uh, but, yeah, things are going pretty well. And don't dwell on this nil-nil too much. You can't win them all. And, really, we just ran into a great keeper today. I would not dwell on that. The guys are playing hard. It's another good point. It's another shutout. So, pretty nice time to be a Rising fan. That it is. You know, we've we we've maybe we've been a little too spoiled, but but you know, good things are happening, and that's that's all you can ask for. Right on, right on. So I think that will do it for this week. Kyle will be back next week. Um, in case you guys were wondering why we get this recording out an extra day early, the BGN gang is going to be out of town from today as you guys are listening to this until next Friday. So the show must go on, and that's what we do. We keep the show rolling. So until next week, uh, go Rising, and just enjoy yourselves. Go Rising. Have a great week, everybody. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.